When it comes to discussing our bodies, we often get a little uncomfortable. Women's health issues are often seen as off-limits, taboo topics we just don't talk about. It's time for that to change. Let's talk. Welcome to the Brave Mama podcast, where we are going to do exactly that. Discuss everything from periods to pregnancy, motherhood to menopause. No topic is off-limits. Join Stephanie Thompson, the brave mama and author of The Day My Vagina Broke, as she asks other brave women about their personal health challenges and triumphs. You will learn, laugh and cry as Stephanie finds out everything you wanted to know but were too afraid or embarrassed to ask. So, grab a cuppa and enjoy. Hello and welcome to The Lowdown with Brave Mama. I am your host, Steph Thompson, and do you know how much this excites me to be able to bring you this conversation today? Because as someone who's never been able to find a pessary that fits, feels comfortable, or even stays in, just the idea of innovation really is exciting for women everywhere. Today, I get to sit down with Caitlin Mayer, who has studied mechanical engineering, and now she is the CEO of Rhea Health, which is a healthcare startup focused on improving the treatment and the overall experience for people living with pelvic organ prolapse. And they've done this by redesigning, fully redesigning, a pessary. I don't want to give too much away. You'll need to tune in and hear the amazing things she has to say. But when someone enters this femtech space to help others, I am in full admiration. What this pessary can potentially do to women living in rural areas and giving them access to something where you won't need a medical professional to help you insert or remove is just beyond phenomenal. So if you know someone who is struggling with a pessary and could benefit from tuning in, please share this episode with them. Even share it with your healthcare provider and start a conversation. So hello, Caitlin, how are you going? Good. Uh, it's so great to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, we are great. And it's actually, it's funny because I almost said good morning, but for you in New York, it's good evening, right? It is. Um, so yeah, you're a little bit ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so lovely to have you all the way from New York. It's actually quite an honor and thanks for coming on in your time. Um, let's jump straight in. So Rhea, R-E-I-A Health. Tell us, who are you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our team at Raya is currently the four people who co-founded it. So it's me, um, our COO, Ari Sofer, our CTO, Meek and Daigler, and the two of them uh, lead our product development together. And our fourth co-founder is our chief medical officer, Dr. Paul Hanissian, who is a urogynecologist and has had over 25 years experience treating prolapse and fitting pessaries. Wow. That's some record, isn't it? That, that's a good person to have on your team. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's uh, <laughs> great to have someone with that much experience and um, insight into the problem and the current solutions and treatment options. Yeah, yeah. How did the four of you all come to be as a team? 
So Ari, Megan, and I actually met while we were studying engineering in college. And during our last term, the three of us wanted to do a final project aiming to redesign instruments in the women's health space. Okay. And so we kind of originally thought we would redesign the speculum because it was a tool that the three of us had had a lot of familiar with. But to kind of understand the landscape as a whole, we spent the first couple of weeks interviewing uh, nurses and midwives and doctors in the space to kind of better understand any sort of technology deficiencies in women's health. Uh, There are a number of... Yeah, we're talking about women's pelvic health, really the vagina, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, Yeah, so we were focusing on uh, pelvic health and you know, we, during this process, we were connected with Paul and he was the one who first introduced us to prolapse and kind of the shortcoming and quality of life impacts of pessaries. And the four of us kind of came together and decided that this could be an area where we really could make some innovation and hopefully improve the lives of people with prolapse. Amazing. And when I first heard about your story, I was a bit blown away, to be honest, because I thought, wow, young women wanting to help other women with prolapse, assuming at the time I had no idea that you hadn't experienced prolapse yourself. And I thought, wow, that's so altruistic to want to help someone who they haven't, they they just basically going off the experience that the, you know, urogynecologist said that women really suffer. So that's hats off to you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. We, um, we kind of started there and then we interviewed a number of other, uh, women who used pessaries and it really just seemed like a really neglected area in women's mm-hmm. health and that there wasn't a lot of people putting an effort to try and uh, change these kind of suboptimal treatment options. And yeah. we, um, were just really inspired by the people we talk to to see if we could come up with a better solution. So obviously the women that you were talking to had lived experience with prolapse, I assume? Yes. Um, Yes. We heard, um, yeah, countless stories about um, the impacts that prolapse and pessary use had on their their quality of life, um, their sex lives, just kind of their day-to-day activities and being able to, to manage that. And Um, it was, yeah, pretty, um, heart-wrenching at times to hear how, um, much pain and suffering some people had. And we really wanted to, um, try and come up with a solution that was enabled easier, more comfortable care and kind of better access to enable people to be more independent in managing, uh, their prolapse. Somewhat normal. Yeah, yeah. But pre-prolapse life, at least. Um, So did the three of you, the engineering students, before interviewing these women, how much did you know about pelvic organ prolapse? If anything, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, we had never heard of it. And we were pretty stunned that this condition that affects 40% of women Mm -hmm. um, existed and that we had never heard of it. And that was also kind of another motivating factor to see if we could increase awareness or education and make it, you know, something that people talked about. Yeah, right. And that that is such, it's funny because quite often, I know you said 40% of women are affected. 
I think in Australia we're hitting 50 plus, so 51%, I think, but it obviously depends where you get the stats from. But the latest is that it's 51% reported women are affected. There is still that massive group of women who are very invisible, who either don't know they've got it or too embarrassed and ashamed to go and get help or to get a diagnosis. So there's it's potentially a lot higher, which, yeah, I think when you hear that, you think, why aren't we talking about it? Why aren't we doing something? You know, like, I don't know how, what it's like in the States, but here, breast cancer awareness, if you see the colour light pink in a ribbon, you automatically know, oh, that's for women's breast cancer, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And um, it seems like people, you know, end up finding communities online to, and, you know, realizing that they're not they're not just not alone. They're, you know, yeah. part of the majority who are, um, who are affected by this and hopefully being able to kind of spread that awareness, yeah. um, would, you know, bring some more light and innovation to the, um, to the problem in general. Yeah. Because importantly, by sharing that knowledge and wisdom for a lot of women, it can be preventable. So not all, so women can experience prolapse you know, with the childbirth or not, vaginal birth, cesarean birth, there's all a whole lot of factors, but we know by education we can minimise the risk of getting it first and secondly, the type and grade and severity. So you might be able, you might be able to help women and even accessing support, thirdly. So if you're a woman, a woman living with prolapse, currently the supports in the medical system here are non-existent so everything is self-funded so every appointment every pessary you buy every fitting everything is self-funded um there are some medicare clinics but they don't seem to be up to scratch as the private women's health physios that women choose to go to so yeah it's to have that level of support and awareness would be good too so let's um let's talk about pessaries because from my experience, I've been to three of those clinics. Um, two were government funded and one was private funded. And within those, I think I've been fitted seven, eight different types of pessaries, different sizes. So that's just eight different types. And within the eight different types, there's been different sizing. You go and try it. You have to buy it. You have to pay for it. Then you try it. You walk around the car park or whatever and you're like, oh, yeah, it's okay. And then it flops out. And then you try the next one and, like, say, for example, um, one of them you have to have removed. And the clinic where I was going was an hour and a half away. So if I need to have it out, I've got to find babysitting, drive an hour and a half, get it out, come back. Anyway, so it's a whole day process. So it's not practical, right? What, I mean, you guys have done a lot of research in this area and probably know more than me. What type what in the history of pessaries what have we got what what do we have for women yeah the the history of pessaries is really quite uh i don't know if remarkable is quite the quite quite the right word but very surprising i think the yeah. first recorded history of pessaries uh was from 400 bce when um Hippo hippocrates used a pomegranate and, um, you know, there are other examples of early pessaries of being pieces of gold and balls of wool and cork. And um, I mean, it doesn't really seem like there's been a lot of 
uh, innovation beyond that. You know, they're now made out of medical grade silicone, but I'm not, uh, the fact that this is like the origin story of them doesn't really, you know, bode a lot of confidence for that they're going to be the most comfortable uh, yeah. solution when it comes to uh, healthcare. Yeah, that's right. And I'm pretty sure they probably didn't work back then. And for some, some women, they can. Um, they can offer some support depending on the type of prolapse and the type of pessary that you have. So why did really, obviously, the urogynecologist um, would have spoken to you about this, but why did the three of you think, okay, so this is the time. This is the time for the innovation right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going back to what you were saying earlier about your pessary fitting visits and trying different eight different types and um, the fact that there are plenty of people who those uh, don't work for. And Mm -hmm. even if they are able to successfully be fit with some of those, um, a lot of the designs right now are rigid and um, kind of a fixed shape. So people can't, you know, remove them independently uh, very easily or sometimes at all. And they need to go back to their practitioner every three to four months to have them removed and cleaned and reinserted for them. And obviously this has a lot of tremendous impacts on their quality of life. Like you said, the time and the money spent on going to these visits, um, users can't have penetrative sex with them in and they're at risk of developing vaginal ulcers and other complications from long-term wear. And, uh, generally it seems like women should not have to settle for this suboptimal treatment. And so we really think we want to create a pessary that is easier and more comfortable to use. So people can get the support that they need and deserve. (laughs) Yeah. And I think for a lot of women who've had vaginal birth and, you know, uh, the use of forceps where they've had, um, damage to their pelvic floor, one thing we're forgetting is that yes, they can send you home with this silicone pessary, right? But you're also trying to adjust to motherhood and look after a newborn baby. So when you lie down on the bathroom floor to try and insert it or, or take it out or whatever, there's a whole lot of other stuff going on. So when they say just relax and um, try and breathe and then you can insert it and then you can try and pull it out very gently, that's not the reality of a life of a, of a new parent, especially in the morning. You've probably had lack of sleep the night before. You wake up and you've got to put this in as quick as you can before the baby wakes or <laughs> whatever it is. It's not easy. And I can share with you um, very personally that the size that I require for the internal does not match the size of the opening, meaning it's too big and then when you try and squeeze it it doesn't squeeze very well and as you're inserting it often slips and it opens up and then it rips your labia and you're there now with a torn labia and a the skin irritation and it's like oi, 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 i can't it's too hard i'm so sorry that's yeah i mean that's just i can't speak personally but that just sounds like such an awful experience yeah. that no one should have to go through. <laughs> and no one really tells you about it either. In the clinic, when they when you're fitted, it, it seems really easy. So when you get home to try and copy that and it's not easy, it's really upsetting. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, a, it's a roller coaster. Um, so we'd, let's talk about your design. 
of the pest rigs. I know a little bit about it and I'm really excited, but our audience doesn't know. So your design, how is it different to, you know, the 400 BC style pestries we've got available? Um, yeah. So uh, just like you were describing before, I think one of the uh, problems with current pestries we've heard over and over again is their, uh, is the fact that they don't really collapse for the insertion and the removal. You can, you know, squish them a little bit, but um it can still be a very painful experience. And so we have designed our passery to uh, more seamlessly collapse for the insertion and removal process to roughly half of the diameter. Wow. It sort of looks like a tampon shape. So hopefully a shape that's pretty comfortable for yes. that process as well. Um, and once in place, it automatically deploys to its supportive state and um, the base of the pessary has a loop feature um, that sits um, that's at the bottom part of the pessaries to hopefully facilitate a pretty easy removal. Yeah. Um, we designed our pessary alongside current users and practitioners to try and take in as much input and feedback to right. address current shortcomings. Um, we also attempted to design our pessary so that it can be uh, collapsed with people with uh, arthritis and limited hand dexterity. Okay. We talked to a number of women who um, have that condition as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, our wow. goal is that uh, we can hopefully eliminate the physician intervention that's sometimes needed yes. for the insertion and removal process okay. and try and make it um, just generally easier. Okay. Um, that's awesome. So here's how I've described it to a friend um, is that, and please jump in if this is incorrect, because obviously I don't, I don't have a physical one to look at. So I'm just going on what I'm picturing in my head. So it's like a tampon applicator. So a good long size, but really skinny. So we'll be able to go inside the opening, but then when you um, pull, pull, is it pull the cord or push? It actually uh, should just uh, expand automatically. Oh, so okay. you actually pinch it to um, to have it in the collapse state. Um, yeah. And also we are developing an applicator as well. So it will hold it in the collapse state for you to even make Beautiful. it. Beautiful. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I must have uh, dreamt that. And then you, yeah. So it, <laughs> once, once you insert it and then opens up almost like a mushroom, right? So that yes. everything sits on top. It's covering the hole, and then when you want to take it out, you squeeze, and then it closes like a like a like the applicator again. That is innovation, my friend. I was like, what? it doesn't. When you think about it now, and I've seen pictures of it, it doesn't feel like it should have like it's rocket science. Like yes, the opening at the bottom is much smaller than the one at the top. I'm so proud of you guys, and I'm just. Oh, wow. Just to think that young women have come up with this for, for women like us who are living with prolapse is beyond your years, really. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I mean, like you said, it's absolutely not rocket science. Um, I think um, Ari and Megan have really led a very elegant uh, engineering process where it's um, it's actually like a fairly simple uh, design, but you know, accomplishes, uh, accomplishes a whole lot in terms of what we're hoping makes the pessary better. And that's innovation right there, my friend, something that doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but yet 
outdoes every other current thing in place. It's so good. So which, um, so I know that I was thinking, well, who could this possibly help? So I know I'm very, uh, I'm at the pro at the point now where I'll try anything and everything. I'm open to everything. I also have the reality that it, it could not work. It might not work for me. Like every new thing that comes into my hands, I always think I'm hopeful, but I know it might not. It might not because not everything suits every woman. So in your mind, where are you thinking this might be able to support women? Right. I know it's really um, like current pessaries have about like a 70 ish percent success rate. And it's really, really unfortunate that there isn't something that can yeah. treat everyone. There is so much juiciness to this conversation. But for right now, it's time to take a really quick break. I'm just going to go grab myself a cup of tea. And today I'm going to be drinking Madame Flavors Green, Jasmine and Pear. Here's a little secret. I've never really loved green tea. And I was a little bit hesitant to try this one in particular because I've just got these memories of having a sip of green tea, knowing it's good for me, but it tasting really bitter. So... After giving it a try, I'm actually in love with it. The main thing was too, you need to steep it the right way. And on the side of the box, they've got these instructions to not brew it too hot, which is, you know, it makes sense. Also, our friends at Madam Flavor love what we're doing so much. They want to give you more. So when you go to their website and you sign up to their newsletter, which has got all the amazing offers coming out from them, you get 20% off your first order. But for Brave Mama listeners only, you also get some free tea if you use the code that is in the link in the show notes. And we're, so we are actually about to start our first um, long-term clinical trial. So uh, we're recruiting 50 women who will wear a pessary for three months and we're recruiting all types of prolapse and all stages of prolapse. So, um, and they'll be able to interact with pessary, taking it in and out and um, have a physician evaluate how effective it is for them. So, um, we are, uh, yeah, looking forward to getting that data. We're hopeful that, you know, it will be able to help as many people as possible. And, um, yeah, we can't wait to keep you updated on that. Oh goodness me. I wish we could just fast forward a few, you know, how long do you think that like this, um, obviously the, the trial is three months. I know you just said that, but it doesn't in three months time, you're not going to magically have it ready available at the supermarket or the chemist. So how long does that process generally take meaning how long till I can get one to try <laughs> yeah um so we are uh we still need to go through the 
FDA process because we are our first having it cleared in the United States where we're based. And so we're hoping that the whole process between the trial and the other, um, you know, rigorous testing we need to do to confirm hundred percent it's safe, even though yes. we are making it out of medical grade silicone and um, in a medical device manufacturer, Good. we um, are collecting all that data to submit to the FDA. And we're hoping that uh, it will be available in about a year from now, which I know is Still, still good? a bit of ways away, but um, uh, well, that's, that's our hope. <laughs> I was gonna say, I, I'm happy to wait a year because had we not had you guys around, we'd be waiting for longer than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh wow, that's so good. Um, so are there different types of versions or sizes of your design, or is it just the one? So it is all the same shape, but we have three different sizes. Um, so currently pessaries come in like often eight different sizes per shape, sometimes more. Yeah. And we're hoping because our pessary is a bit more dynamic and flexible and can kind of, um, so we're hoping that that can fit um, people's anatomy a little bit more precisely um, with three different sizes and kind of streamline the fitting process of it, which we've heard has, can be pretty burdensome where, you know, like you said, you try a pessary, it works, you know, for the 15 minutes you're in the office, you walk outside to your car and it falls out. And we're <laughs> so, so many women have that same story. Sadly, Caitlin, they really do. Yeah. We've heard it. Um, we've heard it countless times. And so we're hoping that with fewer sizes and this, um, more, uh, dynamic shape that we can fit, um, more people. Yeah. Cause so many women, everyone's body's different and their internals are different. And unfortunately this is something I wish, and here's a tip, I guess, I wish that practitioners would share with patients prior and say to them, because your anatomy is different, it's a trial and error. And this is not going to be your number one snug fit. Okay. So this is a bit like Goldilocks. This one might be too small. This one might be too big. It's going to be a process. Be, be ready for it to be a process in a bit of a long-term game until we find the right one for you. I think if women had that mentally as they were going in, on the third or fourth trial, they may be like, oh, we're getting closer, not another one failed. It you know, shifts your mindset a little bit. I, and if you do get it on the first go, bingo, lucky you, how amazing. But at least you won't be disappointed because on the, you know, the private groups, I often see women saying, I've tried my third one and this is ridiculous. And why is it so hard? And, but if they were pre-warned that you might need to try three different sizes like yours and give it three different goes until you find the one that's good for you because everyone's hiatus like the gap is different. And if you haven't had the proper measuring or the three or four D scans to know what that size is, then it is literally trying them on for size. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more that it should be fully outlined that this is a yeah. process that hopefully the practitioner and um, you get to, you know, yeah. be equal partners in. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, Will women, you know, say, for example, in a year's time, fast forward a year, 
will women, do you think, and I know it's hard to have a crystal ball, but is the idea that women won't have to go and see a professional to get fitted first? Like, can you buy it off the shelf and try it? Or is it recommended that women actually do go and see a practitioner the first time around? So in the U.S., pessaries are still a prescription product, so they need to be uh, prescribed by the doctor. And um, so kind of as a first step into um, making our pessaries available, we are going to go through uh, U.S. practitioners' offices. and um, But we are developing a fitting kit that stays at the office, so those pessaries are – just used to size people, but it's not the pessary that they take home. So hopefully they had the opportunity to potentially try more than one size in the office if that's what is deemed yeah. necessary. Um, but, and then take the right size home. Um, but we are hoping that in the future, we can move to more of a direct to consumer um, offering where people can um, be able to eliminate uh, the fitting process. And, um, but I think that's going to be a little bit of a ways out. Yeah. I would personally, I'd probably recommend someone just at least go and see your women's health physio first. If this is your first time around and you're really, you don't know anything about them. It's just smart to do that. But however, I am also part of groups in America, a public organ prolapse groups where they just buy them off eBay. They buy them online. They try them themselves because they want to take a little bit of autonomy and they don't want to either wait for their specialist appointment or their specialist, very sadly, has fobbed them off and said, your prolapse is not that bad or it's not painful and that's generally coming from a male perspective who's never felt a prolapse anyway I won't digress but I know women do access them online in any means possible so I hope that one day yeah definitely direct yeah absolutely we want people to be able to have the option to do what's best for them in terms of their first introduction to our pessary yeah 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 so let's um Let's talk about support for women just in general. So, and I'm just curious, did the women in your families, like the three of you girls, ever talk about things like, you know, pessaries or pelvic organ prolapse with you? No, they hadn't. I mean, um, and I guess now it's kind of changed. My mom and I talk about um, all sorts of things. She reports back on her trips to the gynecologist and any developments with me, but um, I definitely think that the shift is happening in a great direction where Mm. it's a lot more open dialogue. And I think we're all kind of experiencing that, but, you know, originally it was just a condition I had never heard about until we, we began this. (laughs) Yeah. And I think I, I know I noticed that you did say that at the very beginning. I think the curiosity is around more so did you, you know, even talking about periods and things with the women in your family, was that similar? Was it a bit taboo or just unspoken about? It um I think it, you know, I have two younger sisters. So I think with each sister, the conversation got, you know, more, way yeah. more open. The dialogue was <laughs> the dialogue was there, but um with, yeah, it definitely, um, it seems like, you know, 
my conversation with my mom was better than her conversation with her mom. So it definitely is, you know, (laughs) I think the generational aspect of that is becoming more, um, like more open and, you know, discussing, you know, how things, how, but I think it's great because, you know, with that, you know, you can start to understand, you know, if anything is wrong or your own um, anatomy. Yeah. Yeah. Your own anatomy. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) yeah. I was embarrassed to think that I actually didn't know the difference between a vagina and a vulva. And I know everyone can laugh at that. Like, oh, didn't you? But I know secretly a lot of them say, oh, neither did I really. Aren't they the same thing? A lot of people have said that out loud. And I think that has changed. That shift is about not understanding your own body is a really, it's a definitely a positive step in the right direction. Um, I, it's funny because now I'm a mom, I often question myself, well, how are you going to talk to your daughter about this? I don't know. Like I'm not ever blaming my mom or my grandma for not having the conversations because now I'm in their position. I was like, how do you start that? Because often kids don't want their mom to talk like that. I don't know if it's getting in younger. So it's more normal, desensitized. Obviously, my book title has the word vagina in it. My daughter has seen it. She can't read, but she knows it says vagina and she knows what her role is. So maybe coming in earlier, just be like, yep, that's that's your body. It's your knee. It's your eye. It's your ear. It's your vulva. It's okay. You know? Yeah, I think that's fantastic that she knows that. I definitely was not aware of my anatomy at that age. So (laughs) funnily enough, Caitlin, I'm pretty sure that people within my circle, other moms, would judge me and think that I've said too much too young. Just saying. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I think from my perspective, the transparency and normal is like normalizing all of this uh, really has some great long-term benefits. And um, yeah, it's nothing to be there's no aspect that should be embarrassing or anything. So <laughs> but my son there's no problem. He's three. Oh, sorry. He's just in four. So he's younger and his penis is like his pride and joy. Like he talks about it. He shows me it. And, you know, any chance he gets, but it's funny with girls, they're treated like very differently. Quick cover up, you know, puppy's coming over. He doesn't want to see your bottom, but the penis is fine. I don't know. It, that's a whole nother episode, but <laughs> um, so how do young women like yourselves, market a pessary to women with prolapse. Right. Yeah. We're, um, we do try to be very conscious of the fact that, um, none of us have prolapse. And as a result, we try and talk to as many people as possible, um, who have been diagnosed, um, or who use pessaries to try and get feedback on, um, our design, but also our, any sort of marketing or educational materials, um, packaging even to try and make sure that we're making something that does really resonate with the users. Wonderful. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, (laughs) you don't have to answer this. It's okay. (laughs) Did it have any of you actually tried it even without a prolapse? We have, we have all tried it. Um, I've uh, inserted it myself and have had it um, professionally placed by a practitioner. Um, So I, um, yeah, I do not have prolapse. So I can't really um, 
speak. So I can really only speak to my uh, experience with the comfort aspect of it. And I would say the most similar experience I've had is inserting and removing a a menstrual cup. Um, But for me, our pessary was easier because it's designed to collapse in a very specific way versus trying to figure out how to fold the menstrual cup to insert it. And um, the fact that we have a removal feature versus trying to find the knob on the end of my menstrual cup to remove it um, has all kind of our elements that we had experience with that we tried to incorporate into the design. That's wonderful. That's really cool to hear that because I think like you just said, you've got credibility to say, well, yeah, no, we've improved that because we've tried that and that, you know, that wasn't ideal for us. So yeah, that's awesome. Um, we, we know that there are many factors that contribute to prolapse. And while it would be nice to, to never need pessaries, I don't think that <laughs> is our reality. Um, so where would you see Rhea Health in the future? Yeah, we're, I think our goal is just to try to make our pessary um, available to anyone who wants one and increase access to uh, prolapse care and pessaries um, worldwide, trying to make, you know, a, a pessary that doesn't require physician intervention. So people in more remote areas can yeah. also um, can also manage their prolapse. And along the way, we're just pretty eager to promote any other innovations that's helping in the space. Um, we just I think really would love to see any sort of improvements in the, uh, you know, pessaries, other, uh, pelvic floor, physical therapy, educational materials, any, um, there's a, great new surgical option, just anything that anyone can do to kind of make this better. (laughs) Oh, you guys are all hot. I love that. It really shows that you care about the women that you are helping. I tell you what I would love to see you guys, those femtech conferences. I go to so many femtech conferences and there is so much amazing technology and innovation for women when it comes to tracking your periods, to your ovulation, to IVF, to da 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 no pessaries, no pessaries. Every single time I've been to Women of Wearables conference, I'm there chatting going, where are the pessaries or where are the prolapse? No one's talking about prolapse. They're talking about all pre-birth or menopausal stuff. And there's just this big gaping hole that needs a good pessary like you guys. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, there is definitely a gap in terms of the innovation. Everything kind of just skews, skews younger, like even like pre-birth. Yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. So I hope to see you in that space soon. Now, if our listeners would like to find out more about, you know, what you're doing um, or in, in particular, the results of this three month trial, where can they come and find you? So our uh, website is rayahealth.com and we have a form on the website for anyone who's interested in joining our feedback community, as well as signing up for our newsletter. Um, and we would love to uh, have everyone 
yeah, be involved. <laughs> yeah, great. I've, I think that newsletter that you had, the history of pessaries, and you kind of had them all out on the table. And I was looking at some of them. That was a really good, that was a really good newsletter, actually, because you learn a lot and it's fantastic. Um, we have loved talking to you today. I dare say I want to check back in in three months and just have a quick little catch up with you just to see how things are going. How, do you, how does that sound? That sounds fantastic. I would love to. Awesome. Thank you so much, Caitlin. And thank you to uh, the whole team. You know, we really are hopeful that uh, this is going to change things for women everywhere. No, and thank you so much for talking to me today and um, yeah, giving us the space to, uh, to discuss prolapse and pessaries. Awesome. Thanks. This conversation and what these amazing young engineers are doing really gives me hope. And when you have hope, you can keep moving forward. I have tried and tested so many things in my six-year journey. I've had lots of disappointments. I have quickly learned to try and switch those disappointments to just looking for the next thing, never giving up, and working hard to ensure that we can make this better for all of us is what keeps me going. So if you're in a place of disappointment, shock maybe, if you're newly diagnosed, or you've lost hope, we have a support group on Facebook of 1,500 women who are living with pelvic organ prolapse. You can certainly request to join. You can find it over on the Brave Mama Facebook page or on the website. As a part of giving back and helping others, on top of this, I've also set aside two times a week to have a 15-minute free Zoom call with anyone who feels like they just need to connect and just vent or ask questions about prolapse, motherhood, anything. Just that community and village when you feel like you've got no one else to turn to who can really get you. So I'm not a counsellor, but I am you. I live with the stage three pelvic organ prolapse with bilateral avulsions every day. So I see you and I hear you. If you think this is something that might be of interest to you, you can contact me via the link in the show notes just to find out some more information. I just want to add one last thing. Because this is so new at RIA Health and it's undergoing rigorous approvals for FDA and etc. you can stay up to date with any news or developments via the RIA Health newsletter. I've also popped a link to their website where you can sign up for the newsletter in the show notes. So next week, we are continuing our new parents month. And this time it's all about the dads and the birthing partners. We chat with the lovely, vivacious Lucy Bloom with the best pink hair. She is the author of Cheers to Childbirth, which is a guide for dads and birthing partners. Until then, bye for now. Hey, my-